Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, let's get into it this week. We are in week number four of our series called I Am. And what this series is simply trying to do is help us to learn more about who Jesus is from his own words. So these statements are all found in the New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John, John being one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, wrote these things down. He was an eyewitness. He was there for all of these things that he has recorded, including this series of statements. So in this statement this week, it's actually when you look through the book of John, the final one in chronological order, and it kind of goes together with the one we looked at two weeks ago, uh, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This one is right after that. So that was John 14. Today we're going to be in John 15, looking at the statement this week where Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So let's go ahead and read the opening part of this statement today in John chapter 15, starting at verse number one. And here is what Jesus says. He says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, Jesus says here, I am the true vine. What we're going to do today is ask and answer four questions about this statement. First, what does Jesus even mean when he calls himself the true vine? The second question that we'll look at is, what are the benefits of the true vine? Third, how do we get these benefits of Jesus being the true vine? And then fourth, we'll end quickly with, so what, basically? What does that mean? What do we do with that information? Where do we go from here? Those are the four main questions that we're going to go through today. And we are going to get through quite a bit of material. So like I always say, when I feel like I've got a lot to say, I'm going to try not to talk too fast or for too long. That's not a guarantee. It's not a promise, but we'll do the best that we can. And we are going to look at quite a bit of scripture, but it's going to really, I think, flesh out the full idea behind this statement that Jesus says, I am the true vine. So again, the first question we're going to look at today is, what does Jesus even mean when he calls himself the true vine? What does Jesus mean by saying, I am the true vine? 
Now, obviously, on a surface level sort of reading of this text, there's an obvious metaphor. He's the vine, we're the branches, we find life in him, we find meaning in him, we bear fruit through him. That, that's obvious, but really, to understand, I think, the depth of what Jesus is saying here and how shocking it may have been to some of the original hearers and readers here, we have to kind of go back and do a little bit of digging in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and look at the first uh, seven verses of Isaiah chapter 5, because he has also a very similar metaphor that Jesus is kind of playing off of to illustrate that he is the true vine. So Isaiah uh, chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. So here's what it says. Uh, This is Isaiah, uh, he's saying this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then, here's the problem, then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So here's what God says. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, God says, I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Then Isaiah finishes up by saying, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. But he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So what we see here in Isaiah 5 is really a very quick snapshot of the history of ancient Israel. So, It says here, uh, and also quickly, if you want to read this in sort of a different way, uh, later today or this week, read Psalm 80. Psalm 80 is going to have a very similar theme here. You're going to hear very similar language, kind of describing in a little bit greater detail sort of the same thing that we're going to go through this morning. But that's just maybe a follow-up passage to kind of fill in even more of what we're going to talk about today. So in Isaiah, he's saying, hey, God chose Israel Of all the people of the world, of all the peoples of the world, he chose Israel for his own people. They were in Egyptian bondage. He rescued them. Then he gave them their own land. He gave them their own national identity. He did everything for them. He set them up to succeed. God even says in this prophecy in Isaiah, what more could I have done than what I did? The answer is nothing, okay? But Israel, as you read their history, they continually faltered. They continually rebelled. They continually disobeyed and turned away from God. He set them up for success, but they refused. They turned away again and again. And so what we see here, the nation eventually broke in half. A civil war literally broke out. So when he talks about Judah and Israel, it's kind of Israel, the north, northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. Still all God's people, but kind of split north and south. And then each kingdom, they don't serve God. They don't obey. They don't live according to what he wants them to live uh, by. And so he allows other uh, enemies to conquer both kingdoms. 
He allows them to go into exile, each of them. He allows ruling other, other powerful nations to rule over them, to lord over them. So we kind of end here on kind of a bummer, right? But that's where Israel was for hundreds of years. That's why they were anticipating the Messiah to come, because he was going to fix everything. He was going to bring them all together. He was going to bring freedom to them. He was going to overthrow the other ruling governments and make them their own free, united people once again. That's the importance of the Messiah to these people. And what Jesus says here in John 15 to his disciples on the last night of his life, he says, I am the true vine. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the one that Psalm 80 talks about. I'm the one that all the prophets talked about. I am the one. I am the true vine. And uh, so this leads, though, to to a a mistake that I just want to get through just really quickly. And that is sometimes when we read that or see that or hear that, we think, well, clearly God has forsaken Israel forever. Well, clearly Jesus came out with the old and with the new. It's not really accurate at all because even Jesus says that's not the point. So in in part of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is not coming to wipe out everything about Israel. That's not not the point. That's not his mission at all. What he did do, Jesus says two things. He says, one, I first came to do what the law could not do. The, The law could not bring lasting salvation. So you think of the Old Testament law versus Jesus and what he came to do. The the Old Testament law is basically like a Band-Aid for a a gaping wound that will not heal. The Band-Aid will bring some relief, uh, but it's just not going to do the job forever. But Jesus comes and he brings uh, the cure. He brings the necessary things that are needed to, to heal that wound completely, fully, finally, and forever. So Jesus says, and even Paul says, the law has has its good parts, it has its merits. Mainly, it shows us how sinful we are and how much we have a need for God, but the law itself cannot really save us. That's what Jesus came to do, to complete the law, to fulfill the law, not to throw it out, but to complete that. And the second thing that Jesus did that's really applicable to our time together today is, he said, I also came to do what Israel would not do. I came to be obedient to the Father to help other people find him. Because Israel, originally, their whole design was the other nations look at how God blesses them and prospers them and how everything works great for them because they do things God's way and be a light to the outsiders to say, whoa, maybe there's something to this Israel thing. Maybe there's something to this God thing. But they, they fell short. They couldn't do that. So Jesus came to do what Israel would not. So the first vine, as we read in Isaiah 5, was disobedient was full of bloodshed and distress. But Jesus says, I'm the second vine, I'm the true vine, and I'm obedient, and I bring justice, and I bring righteousness. So that, in a nutshell, I know it's kind of deep, I know there's kind of a lot there, but that's what Jesus means to his original hearers, his followers, 
uh, about what he means by the true vine. He came to do to complete the law, fulfill the law, and to do the job that Israel fell short of doing. He is the true vine. But then the second question about the vine is, okay, that's great, but what are the benefits of the true vine? What does this analogy actually mean? Is it just a Jewish thing? Or is it just like, okay, it's Israel and it's the law and it's fulfillment, but what does that mean for me? I'm not, and you're probably watching today, you're probably not Jewish. If you are, I love you. But if you're not, uh, what does that mean for me? How does that affect me? What are the benefits for me? And I'm going to go through this fairly quickly and just kind of breeze through four benefits that Jesus gives here later on in this discussion about being the true vine, four benefits that we can experience by him being the true vine. The first benefit that we see here is that the true vine offers true salvation. Jesus offers us true salvation. So later on in verse 3, we already read it, but John 15 verse 3, Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So what Jesus is saying here is, I am all you need. There is nothing else that you need to add to my teaching or to my ways, to my instructions, to me. There's nothing else that's needed for true and lasting salvation. It's not about being a good person. That's not enough. It's not about doing good works. Those aren't required. Only faith in Jesus is required. He says, the words I've spoken to you, that's it. That's enough. You're already clean. So as we put our faith in Jesus, he offers true salvation. The second benefit that we see here of Jesus being the true vine is that Jesus brings and offers true love. True love. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 of John 15. Jesus goes on to say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we talked about this in more detail at our Christmas gathering. So if you want to go back to our website uh, or online, our YouTube channel, Vimeo channel, you can watch that and get a fuller, broader view of what we're talking about. Today's just going to be a quick snapshot. So if you're like, what does he mean? Just watch that later. It'll fill in some mental gaps there for you. But here's the idea. The love that the Father and the Son and really the Holy Spirit, all three of them, have is perfect and eternal, and uh, it doesn't need anything else. They, They share and give and receive love perfectly and completely within themselves. So what Jesus offers us here, he says, hey, I'm going to let you in on this perfect, eternal, endless love. You get to be a part of that. And so Jesus says, hey, no one else is going to offer you this. No one else, not even your spouse can offer you this kind of love. Not even your BFF can offer you this kind of love. You may have had the best of the best parents or grandparents, and they may have loved you crazy amounts, but no one can offer you the type of love to the degree that I'm willing to offer to you through myself. So through the true vine, Jesus says, we get to enter into this eternal, divine, perfect love. It's a pretty cool benefit to Jesus being the vine. The third benefit that Jesus lists here in John 15 about him being the true vine is that he offers us true joy. 
Jesus offers us true joy. This is found in verse number 11 of John 15, the very next verse. Jesus says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus says, I'm offering you my joy. I'm offering you true joy. I'm offering you complete joy. Now, what kind of joy did Jesus have? Well, the book of Hebrews later on in the New Testament tells us how much joy, how deep the joy was that Jesus had that he extends to us. Here's what it says. Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, we do this. Now, we'll get to verse number 1 of Hebrews 12 uh, here in just a couple minutes. But this, when he's saying we do this, the author is saying to live a life of faith. We live a life of faith, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus offers us this kind of joy. Now, let me be clear about this, about this verse. Jesus did not find joy in his circumstance. Jesus saw joy through his circumstance. I'm going to say that again because that's very apt for the times that we're in right now. Jesus did not find joy in his circumstance. It didn't say that he joyed in the cross. It says he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. So Jesus did not find joy in his circumstance, but Jesus experienced joy through his circumstance. Let me give you what I would call the ABCs of joy. A, this is you, okay? You're here. B, is any difficulty, uh, any problem, um, any tragedy that you face, any problem in your life. Okay, you, your problem, and then C is joy. You're not going to find joy in B. You're not going to see the joy in the circumstance, in the difficulty, in the struggle, in the problem, okay? You're going to have to see joy through the problem. That's why joy is really C in the ABCs. You see joy through the circumstance. It just works out that way. I don't know how God does that, but he does. So you're here. Your problem's here. Your joy is not in B. It's C. You see, you, can, you have joy continually through your circumstance, not in your circumstance. So yes, when you're in the middle of stuff, it's, it's really not going to feel great. It's not going to appear like things are going to work out. You have to see joy through what you're going through, through the difficulty, through the struggle, through the problem. But you can do it because Jesus, as the true vine, offers that kind of joy for you. No matter what you face, you can have joy through any circumstance because Jesus offers you true joy as the true vine. And the fourth benefit of this the fact that Jesus is the vine um, is the fact that Jesus offers us true peace. He offers us true peace, or really, I would maybe qualify it as contentment. Here's what he says in verse number 7 
of John 15. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Let me just stop for just a second and um, tell you how dangerous (laughs) this verse sometimes can be. It can be used uh, in really bad ways. So let me give you three things that Jesus is not. Jesus is not a candy machine, you know, like the ones that are outside of the stores or restaurants that we used to be able to go to, okay? It's not that I pray, insert coin, I wait, I turn the dial, and then poop, there, you know, there comes my uh, thing, there comes my candy, there comes my answered prayer. I pray, I wait, Jesus answers. He says I can have everything I want, right? No, okay? Jesus is also not Santa Claus, Sit on his lap. Okay, Jesus, I would like, and you just fill in the blank, and he says, ho, 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 here it is. Jesus is not Santa Claus, okay? Third, Jesus is not Amazon, okay? So it's like, you know, I'm going to have like a two helpings of perfect health. Click that. Uh, I'm going to have, uh, yeah, I'm going to have uh, all that I desire. Boom. I'm going to have way more than I ever need. Click. You put it in the basket. It comes to you in two days for free. That is not how Jesus works. That is not what he is saying. To really grasp the importance here of true peace or contentment, you kind of have to read between the lines at the larger picture that Jesus is painting. Really what Jesus is trying to illustrate that leads us into our third main question in just a second is the fact that as we grow closer to Jesus, as we spend more time with Jesus, those wants that we are so concerned about typically change. Those desires that we're so consumed by typically change. The things that we obsess over typically change. Our perspective changes. Our desires change. Our prayers change. They become less self-centered. Now, it's not wrong to pray for yourself, but typically, the longer that we've been with Jesus and the more time that we spend with Jesus, typically our prayers tend to be a lot more others-focused. They tend to be a lot more really needs-based. And so as our minds begin to recalibrate, as our thinking begins to shift and change, the longer and the closer that we're with Jesus, then when we pray for things, we begin to see God do some cool stuff more often. Again, it's not a foolproof thing here. It's not saying, again, it's not a candy machine. It's not Amazon. You click, you order, it ships you. It's there. No, that's not what he's saying. Uh, But what he's saying is that more time with him changes our desires, and that's what really God's looking for, okay? Those are the four benefits of Jesus being the true vine. Then, Then the third question, right on the heels, though, is... How do we realize these benefits? How does this actually work? And so Jesus, we've already read a couple of these. We've already read these words a few times. We're going to look at them for just a couple minutes here. There's two main instructions, two main simple key words that Jesus gives for us to realize those benefits of him being the true vine. The first one is found in in verse 4. We read it. We'll read it again. Verse number 4, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So the first way that we can realize these benefits of Jesus being the true vine is to remain. Remain in him, to stay with him, to stick with him. There's an idea of constancy 
consistency here. And really in the Greek that's being written down here, it's really the idea of force is being implied here. So think of it in terms of an army that is protecting a fort. They're going to hold on. Okay, They're going to stay. They're going to remain. Other translations of John 15 use the word abide. They're going to abide there. They're going to stick it out. Okay, Or since we're using the vine and branch analogy, let's go to a plant. Uh, the idea here is like a plant with its roots dug deep, strong, deep roots. So when a strong storm comes or a strong wind comes, if those roots are healthy and strong and deep, it's going to wave in the wind. It might give a little bit, but it's going to stay firmly planted in the ground because its roots are strong, healthy, and deep. The idea here of Jesus saying, remain in me or abide in me is that sort of thinking, that sort of idea, that sort of imagery. So it comes to this, here's the distinction I want to make. It's not just that we have a connection to Jesus, but that we have a commitment to Jesus. And there's a difference. You just look at normal relationships, romantic relationships. You may have a connection with someone if you're dating, or you may find someone or flirt with them or or whatever. You may have an instant connection But you have to make a decision to make a commitment to them, right? There's a difference between a connection and a commitment. I want you to connect with Jesus. Maybe today is going to be the day where you connect with him. But it needs to grow from there. It needs to grow from a connection to a commitment, to abide, to remain, to grow, to dig those roots deep, to keep them healthy and strong. So when everything else tries to pull you away, you remain. When everything else and everyone else tries to pull your attention and affection away from Jesus, you remain, you abide, so you can enjoy the benefits of Jesus being the vine. The second thing that Jesus says is all the way up in verse number two. He says this from the very beginning. The second way that we can experience the benefits of Jesus being the true vine is in verse two, which Jesus says, He, that's my Father, that's God, cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So the second way for us to enjoy the benefits of the true vine of Jesus is a word called prune or pruning. So when it comes to horticulture, pruning is cutting back from the plant, okay? It's not cutting it off. It's cutting it back for its own good. Now, right after you do that, it's not going to look great. You might question if you've cut off too much, if you've pruned back too far. But what you're going to find as you've done that, as you wait a little bit longer, you're going to see, whoa, it's had room to really grow and really fill out. And it's more beautiful now than ever. That's what pruning is and what pruning does. It is the same thing for our lives. Now, another common mistake that's in this verse is it seems the wording here is that God just does this. Bum, 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 prune, 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 prune. And so the mistake that people will make sometimes by reading this verse is, well, God's pruning me because bad things are happening to me. Or, man, God's really doing something on you because you're really struggling. I'm not going to say God can't or won't do anything, but I'm going to say that that viewpoint is highly unlikely. Just, just the way I'm reading this, the way I, I, I've lived out my life of faith and seen it lived out in others, God may allow you to go through some things to prune you, but he, here's the thing. Pruning 
in reality, I believe, is more that we allow God to prune. We welcome that process of pruning. We welcome him to make cuts and things and do things here. Let me explain what I'm talking about. We're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 12. We looked at verse number 2 earlier about the joy that Jesus had. Verse 1 is going to show us what this pruning process looks like. So let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and that's leading back to chapter 11. So Hebrews 11 is this amazing chapter called the Faith Hall of Fame, if you will. These people from Scripture who lived great lives of faith, who trusted in God, and they saw the benefits of it. Okay, so back to chapter 12. Because we have their example, the author says here, let us strip off every weight, let us. Not God, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This describes the spiritual pruning process, where we limit distractions in our lives, or we allow God to eliminate distractions. We sort of give it up. The Holy Spirit will let us know what those are, and we can hold on to them, and struggle through this life of faith, be weighed down, be slowed down, be tripped up, or we can, through the power, the conviction, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, hey, I got the pruning shears ready to go. Where do you want me to cut? Where should I start? We have to say, yeah, you probably need to maybe cut there. I I really need to check over here. Would you cut that part off so I can grow and thrive and produce fruit? See, it's that we allow, it's not just that God says, pain, suffering, hardship, heartache, now grow. I don't, I don't think that's how God primarily tends to work. It's that we allow him to cut areas. So we can become overgrown and fruitless, or we can say, you know what? Okay, God, I've got some areas that I really need help with. Would you help me in them? And God will do that. So maybe it's cutting out, again, a certain distraction or eliminating even an unhealthy influence or a negative relationship that's weighing you down, tripping you up. Now, sometimes these are long-term. Sometimes you cut it off for good, especially the sin ones. Sometimes the weights uh, that, that the author of Hebrews talks about, the weights that slow us down, sometimes it's for a season. Maybe I need to cut out social media for a time because it's causing fear and panic in this season. Maybe I need to limit Netflix intake, although right now, I know that's difficult, but maybe we, maybe that's how we need to treat this time. Okay, God, help me to cut this out, or God, help me to improve in my attitude here. Like, show me how I can do that better. That's what that pruning process looks like. It puts us in a position to, to be what God wants us to be. And it's not always sinful, but it, it, it is always things that we can do without things that clutter our soul, things that hinder our spiritual growth, things that slow us down, that trip us up, that we can really live to do without, if not forever, at least for a season. That's the pruning process. So to gain these benefits of the vine, we have to choose to remain in Jesus, stay with him, grow roots deep and strong to stay with him, and then allow the Holy Spirit to prune our hearts, our spirits, our attitudes, our habits, those things that can get in the way, that can clutter everything else out, allow God to cut those back so that we can produce fruit. And that really, spoiler alert, leads to the fourth question, and that is, 
What's the point of all this? Is that it? Is it just so that I can have joy and peace and salvation and love? Is that the whole point of this entire vine thing? Not entirely. Um, The real point here, Jesus says, is he wants us to experience life in him, abiding in him and pruning through him so that we can bear much fruit. Jesus is always concerned about our impact on others, our influence on those around us. He wants us to be in as healthy a place as we can be so that we can help those around us who are in an unhealthy place. That's always his goal, his design, and we bear fruit. If you look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it lists nine different fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that being connected to the vine help us to grow in. So as we are strengthened through the vine, as we begin to produce fruit... People notice that. People are attracted to that. It catches their attention. How do you have peace in the middle of all that's going on around you? I'm staying connected to the vine. How do you have joy through your difficulty? I'm staying connected to the vine. How do you show so much self-control and patience with people? I'm staying connected to the vine. Now, you're not going to get all of these right all of the time, every time. We all have areas of weakness. We all have room for improvement. But the idea is, as I stay connected to the vine, as I allow God to prune my heart and my spirit, and my attitude, my actions, my habits, I can produce more fruit. That's the idea. It's funny how, you know, a lot of couples, the older that they are, the longer they've been together, they start to look alike. You ever seen that before? Or maybe you've seen an owner that looks like their dog. That's the point of the vine, is that we begin to look more like Jesus as we're connected to him. We begin to um, live our lives more like Jesus as we're more connected to him. That's what abiding in him or remaining in him is all about. That's what allowing him to prune us is all about, that we can look more like Jesus so that others can then find the life that we've experienced in him, the love that we experience in him, the joy and the peace and the salvation that we experience in him. It's all about maximum impact with Jesus. It's not just so we can have these benefits for ourselves, but so as we abide in him, remain in him, as we are pruned by him, We get these benefits, yes, but then we can also bear fruit that others can find their way to the vine, their connection to Jesus, that he can change their lives as their true vine. Let's pray. Jesus, we trust you as our vine. You are our life source. You are everything to us. Help us to always look to you. Help us to always abide, to remain in you, to dig our roots deep, to keep them healthy through time in prayer, time in scripture. We have so much extra time right now. Let's spend a little bit more of that time with you, abiding in you, remaining in you, growing our roots healthy and deep so that when the things of life come and sway us, we stay grounded and remain in you. When other things try to pull our attention or our affection from you, that we remain in you. 
And God, I pray that we would allow you through the Holy Spirit to prune our hearts and our spirits and our lives, that we would be open and receptive when you say, let's, let's cut here. Yeah, let's, let's cut there. Let's, let's change this and let's tweak that and let's cut this out altogether, that we would be receptive and open to that because we know it's for our good. You're not cutting us off. You're cutting us back so that we can grow fuller and freer and ultimately produce much fruit. And that's the whole point of the vine, is that as we find life, as we find forgiveness, as we find hope and peace and love through the vine, we produce those fruits in our lives to help others to find and experience that life, that salvation, that joy, that peace in their lives through the true vine as well. So God, help us to keep us healthy and strong as we live our lives of faith as close to Jesus as we can to look like him and to be like him to help others to find him as well. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for sticking with me. I know we went through a lot today, went a little bit long, but hey, it was worth it, I hope. So again, love you so much. Uh, Thanks for joining us at First Century Church Online, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.